This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1 in the Old Testament, sixth book in the Bible, Joshua chapter 1. If you're with us as a guest and you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, raise your hand and we'll give you a free copy of the Bible. just need to leave your hand up. And you can take this home with you when you're done with the guest lunch today. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to read the uh, first nine verses. This is our third and final message in a little series we've done on biblical counseling. Today we'll talk about overcoming crippling fear, worry, anxiety. Now I have the great privilege to read publicly from God's Word. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, Do not be frightened. 
And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Believe this morning God is present to help you, to help me, to help us overcome crippling fear. To help us, God is here today to help you overcome anxiety and worry. He speaks in this text directly to Joshua, and I believe this word is for us today so that he speaks directly to us so that we can find courage when we feel overwhelmed by fear. Let me ask you a question. What is by far God's most frequent command in the Bible? Think about it. What is, what is God's most frequent command in the Bible? Do not commit adultery. Have no other gods before me. Love one another. Maybe you'll guess what, whatever commands you know you violated because it feels like they're on every page of the Scriptures. The actual answer What is God's most frequent command in the Bible? Do not be afraid. There are over 300 occurrences of this command in Scripture, including the one we just read. Verse 9, do not be frightened. And of course, Joshua is also commanded in our text, kind of the opposite of do not be afraid, be courageous. It's It means the same thing. So three times we have verse 6, verse 9, be strong and courageous. And then in verse 7, be very courageous. What does all this tell us about God? What does it say about God? It, It says He's aware we are afraid. He is aware that we're worried. He's aware we're anxious. He knows that we can be crippled by fear and He intends to help. Is it it wrong to, to be afraid? Is it sinful? Yes, maybe. But the emphasis in Scripture is when I am afraid, Psalm 56 verse 3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in You. The issue isn't so much whether or not we are afraid and, and whether we worry, whether we're anxious. Scripture assumes we will be afraid. We will be anxious at times. It makes that assumption. And what's important in Scripture is where we turn, to whom we turn to, when we are afraid. In Joshua 1, the Lord speaks directly to Joshua and tells him exactly why he should not be fearful. Why he should not be anxious and worried. God is with him. God is a very present help to him, and so he can be courageous. Verse 5, just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. How do we overcome crippling fear? How do we overcome anxiety? 
How do we overcome low-grade worry? How can we be courageous? Trusting this promise. He will not leave us. Ed Welch, in his wonderful book, Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest, he says this, don't be afraid. Don't worry. They can, they can be said so casually. I've said them to my wife when we've been on airplanes together and her palms were sweating before takeoff. My words, of course, were meaningless. They veered off into self-serving platitudes because I didn't really want to hear about her fears. Already engrossed in the Flight Magazine's crossword puzzle, what a jerk, I didn't want to be bothered. I didn't want to be bothered. But God's words are nothing like my own. Think about them. God never says anything just to get you off his back. The sheer number of times he speaks to your fears says that he cares much more than you know. He's not so busy that he attends only to macro level concerns. Instead, he's close and he speaks to the details of your troubles and my troubles. So we turn to God and we turn to his word and we ask him this morning to deliver us from all our fears. We're going to break this message up into some kind of unusual sections as we seek to build our faith in his closeness and his willingness to help us. First section, hi, I'm Bill and I'm afraid. Second section, hi, I'm Joshua and I'm afraid. And third, some strategies for overcoming crippling fear and worry and anxiety. So number one, hi, I'm Bill, and I'm afraid. Think of this as a big support group, and uh, we're coming together to deal with our fear and our anxiety and our worry, to get counsel from God and His Word. Personally, I've battled fear my whole life. I've experienced all kinds of fears at all levels, even at one point having an out-of-control, for-real, sure-enough panic attack. I'm going to tell you about this panic attack I had on a plane, a Boeing 757, worst plane in the world, in San Francisco. I want to apologize to all the students who went to Vision Quest. They just heard this, this uh, story, but it is a new message, I will, I will say. And one of our pastors did tell me he never heard this. One of the pastors on the team. So I thought, well, I need to make sure I embarrass myself in front of the entire congregation. So let's make sure nobody missed out. I, I don't like enclosed places. I don't like feeling trapped. Held underwater for long enough, you don't either. But planes never bothered me until this trip in 1995. I was in San Francisco flying back. It's not that I'm afraid of flying like Dr. Welch's wife that he was unkind to. That's, that's not the problem. The issue is claustrophobia. And the, the Boeing 757, it, it's a very long, narrow plane. Jeff says it's a joy to fly, but it's terrible to ride in. They probably tested it on rats, and it worked fine, so they thought they could put humans in it. But it's not for humans. It's a very claustrophobic plane. 
it was a hot day, and we were on the tarmac at the gate for a long time. Days. <laughs> the air wasn't on. For some reason, they've got a build-up force in the engine, so they turned the air conditioning off because the rats didn't mind. But people were fanning themselves. They were getting hot. You know, they were complaining. And I began to feel uncomfortable. I started to just feel uneasy. And I didn't really know what was going on at all at that time. This first time it had ever happened to me. And I, I started talking to Sherry about the O.J. Simpson trial. And, and I, I was so sick of the O.J. Simpson trial, but she was very into it. She was all about it. And she thought it was odd that I was drawing her out about the O.J. trial. She knew that was different, but she was happy to indulge me and glad to talk about it. It didn't work. And at one point, I began to breathe very hard. I'm not a doctor, but I guess that's called hyperventilating. And thought I was going to pass out. I was sweating profusely. And she called for the stewardess, came back. She was very kind. She moved me up to the front. Now I do that on every plane. It works every time. <laughs> Just kidding. And I was fine after that for the remainder of the trip. But the real trial started the next time I had to fly, and every time I fly. It was very difficult. I, I dreaded getting on planes. I was anxious days in advance. I, I feared one of the things you start to fear if you've ever had a panic attack, you fear having another one. I feared being enclosed, not able to get off the plane. I feel being, feared being trapped on the tarmac. Every story about a plane being on the tarmac for hours and hours and hours, I, I collected in my mind every story about a passenger trying to get off the plane and being arrested, shocked, you know, hey, let us off, you know, I, I just want to get off. I collected all of those. I saw an interview with a guy named John Madden. You may remember him. He was a broadcaster for the NFL, famous for video games for football. He was a coach for the Oakland Raiders. And he had the same experience I have. And he told, he, in the interview, he said, it's not about flying, it's about claustrophobia. And he, he had a panic attack on the airplane. And then after that, the next time he got on a plane, he was miserable. And so he decided he would never fly again. And uh, bought a Winnebago. Eventually, you know, some steakhouse bought it for him. And he drove all over the country. He's famous for driving in his Winnebago to all the places he had to go as a commentator for the NFL. I didn't feel that was an option for me. Couldn't afford a Winnebago. And couldn't get a sponsor. <laughs> Most importantly, I felt this was an issue of trusting the Lord. I've battled fear all my life. I know about fear. I know it's an enemy. I know it's a tyrant. And I knew it wasn't wise to give in to this fear because fear would not stop with one victory. I also knew I'd need to fly at times to be faithful in my responsibilities. I knew God had called me to do things that would, call, would require me to fly. And so I didn't feel I had that option. And I, I wanted to be able to trust God to overcome this fear and to be able to do what I'm doing today.
to talk about his faithfulness. How can I ever stand in front of people and talk about God's promises and trusting him when others battle fear if I wasn't willing to fight this fight? So I, I felt like I needed to be able to do this. I needed to be able to encourage other people. So it's been hard. I do not like it, and I have not liked it. I talked to my family physician, and he prescribed some anti-anxiety medication for me. And so I carried it on the plane for years. I, I never took it, but I always had it in my briefcase. I thought if I start to have a panic attack, I'll take the whole bottle at once. <laughs> which I don't advise, I'm not a doctor, I'm not good with meds, but just so you know, I'm not opposed to medication. I just knew that uh, there were side effects. I knew that it wasn't a cure, I, I, and I wanted to do my best not to use the medication, but I had it there if I needed it. And um, I don't have it anymore, but I did for years, long after it expired. I've flown overseas now. I flew over the last few years four times to Korea. There's one leg that's 14 hours. I just flew to Germany. One part of that trip is nine hours in a plane. People continue to make all my buddies, which I love. They make fun of me because of how difficult it is for me. What they should, should say is, I'm not afraid of being on a plane, but I have other fears. And I'm proud of you for the courage you've displayed in fighting through your fears. How'd you do it? That's what they should say, because they have fears too. That's not what they say. They make fun of me. But you have fears too. How about public speaking? I love to watch you folks tremble when you come up here to the microphone. What's the big deal? Huh? <laughs> Theologian John Wayne once said, Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. For me, that means getting on that plane. David Pallison, wonderful biblical counselor, says this, grace means courage. Grace means courage. When God says, fear not, do we have this? Okay, I'll read slow. Grace means courage. When God says, fear not, His aim is not that you would just calm down and experience a relative absence of fear. He doesn't say, don't be afraid. Everything will turn out okay, so you can relax. That's not what God says. Instead, he says, don't be afraid. I am with you. Be strong and courageous. Do you hear the difference? The deep waters have not gone away. The opposite of fear is fearlessness. Fearlessness is active and enduring. It carries on constructively in the midst of stressful things 
that don't feel good at all. Courage means more than freedom from anxious feelings. It's being scared to death and saddling up anyway. God uses these things to make us know Him better. Reminds us we need Him. Number two. Number two. Hi, I'm Joshua and I'm afraid. Joshua 1 here. Notice that these are the Lord's words to Joshua. He's focusing on fear and courage. I assume Joshua would be a part of our support group. I assume the Lord is talking to him about how he'll be with him and he doesn't need to be afraid because he's terrified. Verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. It's, it seems odd, doesn't it, to begin a book with a death notice? But it, but it links the book of Joshua with the, the five books of Moses that begin the entire Bible, the Pentateuch. It links that because at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. And the point here is that Moses is dead, but Yahweh, God, the covenant God of Israel, Yahweh, is not dead. Moses carried this great title, Servant of the Lord. And Joshua is going to be called the Servant of the Lord. These are leaders who serve God's people by serving the Lord. And the, the Lord is the one that begins the book of Joshua. He speaks. And in these first nine verses, God is with Joshua. God is encouraging Joshua. He has a task, and he's terrified. And the Lord is speaking to him, but he is not releasing him from his task. Look at verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this river. Go over this Jordan. You and all this People into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Then he lists out all the land. This is the land. I am giving him, giving this land to my people. You will lead them across the Jordan into the promised land. Joshua's first mentioned in the Bible when he's a military commander fighting the Amalekites. Moses is on a hill, you may remember this, and when he held his arms up, Israel won. They went down, they lost. Joshua learned the battle belongs to the Lord. He's, he became Moses' assistant, and later Moses laid hands on him. The Bible says he was filled with the Spirit and wisdom. And now Moses has died, and the Lord is giving him this command. He's to lead the people of God into their inheritance, the land of promise. There are barriers to be crossed. There are enemies to be defeated. Moses is dead. The dominant theme of this whole book is the Lord is faithful to His good promises. Everything about this book points to Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. The land is God's gift to Israel. 
But they have to lay hold of the gift. They have to step out in faith and take what God has given them, just like we do. We have to take possession of the grace of God available to us because of the gospel. So God is speaking to Joshua to encourage him and inspire him and motivate him and to tell him why he doesn't have to be afraid, why he doesn't have to be anxious and worried. It's a direct speech. The author of this book wants his readers to see how vital God's promises are. The gift of the land is the promise that God made to Abraham, has its roots in the Old Testament, and it extends all the way through to the New Testament. God is active. He's he's accomplishing redemptive purposes with Joshua and with you, with his church. He still speaks to his people. You have to understand in this context who Moses was. After the death of Moses, he is the, this is Moses, the servant of the Lord. Not just any servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, Moses. He's unique. If you want to see how important Moses is, turn back to Deuteronomy, just one page over the last few verses. Deuteronomy 34, beginning in verse 10. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all his land. You remember these accounts. And for all the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel, and now he is dead. He was greater than any of the other prophets. There's no one like Moses, no one greater until the one greater than Moses comes, Jesus Christ. No doubt, anxious thoughts were multiplying, especially with Joshua. That's the background. And the the message is, Moses may die, but God's promises live on. It's a new day for Israel. It's a new leader, but the promise always endures. His, His faithfulness doesn't depend on any man, on any woman. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on the greatest of all the prophets. No matter how gifted a man may be, God's promise remains even after that man is gone. God's people can cross the barriers. They can defeat the enemies because... Not because a man is with them, but because God is with them. That's the point of this text. Verse 5, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. It's a core promise for God's people. It's a core promise for you today. You can take this 
home with you today. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. No matter what you face, that's why you shouldn't be anxious. That's why you shouldn't be crippled with fear. It's the same promise he made to Moses. When, when he came to Moses and said, I'm, I want you to go to Pharaoh, I want you to say all these things, Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said to him, but I will be with you. And that's what he says to you, no matter what you face. And this is why you shouldn't be anxious, you shouldn't worry, and you shouldn't be fearful. He's giving you and he's giving me this same assurance today. Joshua is going to need strength. Joshua is going to need courage if he's going to fulfill God's great commission for him. He has to resist being terrified. He has, he has to make God's word part of his life. He has to be fortified by these promises, by these assurances. He needs them. They empower him for his commission. I will never forsake you. It speaks right to our temptation to fear, doesn't it? God is faithful. It says his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my refuge. It's good. It's, it's right for his children to call out, help! what he wants us to do. He will never give up on you. <laughs> David Powson, again, the, the counselor, never, never, never forget that he will not forsake you. That's just a great thing to remember. That's good counsel for our support group today. Never, never, never forget that he will not forsake you. Moses has died, but the message is God has not changed. And this is why in, in verses 6, 7, and 9 in our text, why God repeatedly says to Joshua, be strong and bold and courageous. It's, he's not looking at Joshua saying, come on, man. Suck it up. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's not what he's saying. Reach down inside yourself, Joshua. You can do it. The reason Joshua shouldn't be timid and afraid and fearful and anxious is because God is present with him. He doesn't need to be anxious because the Lord will never, never, never forsake him. And this promise is not just for big time Old Testament leaders like Moses and Joshua. In Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews applies it to a local congregation like ours. It's for us. Hebrews 13, verse 5, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, and then he quotes these verses, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me?
It's for you and me, this promise of God's presence with us. It's why we can overcome crippling fear. And it matters because fear can lead us to covet, can't it? That's why the writer of Hebrews says it the way he does. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because he has said, I'll never forsake you. I'll never desert you. John Piper says this, I have learned that anxiety is a condition of the heart that gives rise to many other sinful states of mind. Think for a moment, how many different sinful actions and attitudes come from anxiety? I'm president of this club. I can tell you all about this. Anxiety about finances give rise to coveting and greed and hoarding and stealing. Anxiety about succeeding at some task can make you irritable, abrupt, and surly. Anxiety about relationships can make you withdrawn and indifferent and uncaring about other people. Anxiety about how someone will respond to you can make you cover over the truth and lie about things. So if anxiety can be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to many other sins. Section three. Here are some strategies, practical thoughts for overcoming crippling fear, worry, and anxiety. Note, note the close connection between overcoming fear and God's Word. So one strategy, of course, is to make God's Word part of your life. It just follows from what we've just looked at. It follows from Joshua chapter 1. If you, if you think of God's Word as an obligation, as a burden, legalism, people around you saying, did you read your Bible today? You're making a big mistake. It is a gift. Take it from a timid guy. If you're given to anxiety, fear, and worry, this Word is a gift. John Piper, I heard him preaching a message last year. I sent it to many of my friends in here. He said, I've never met a weak Christian who memorized Scripture. If you, if you know God's Word, it'll be with you. And there's, there's just nothing more essential. This is God speaking directly to us today. He's speaking directly to Joshua. It's been preserved for His people, for us, so that we can hear Him say this for us today. This is God's Word. I will not forsake you. I was having lunch with a friend on Friday who battles anxiety, and he was asking me about my battle with anxiety. He was asking, of course, I was talking about, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking on anxiety on Sunday. And as we were talking, he said, what are some of the verses that you use to battle? What is God's Word that you use to battle fear, anxiety, worry. What do you use? Sitting there at the table with no Bible, I just started spitting out verses. I got done. I said, you know, I could do this for an hour. 
And he challenged me, okay, go ahead. And I did, not for an hour, but that, that's not said to impress you folks. That reveals how terrified I am. <laughs> the reason I have more verses memorized than you is because I'm more afraid than you are. You're, you, I'm impressed. I don't know how you function. I have that word in my heart because I believe it and I need it and I fight with it. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law. Just hear all the word of God, all the Bible, all the scripture that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. You can build your life on whatever you want to. You can do whatever, you can listen to any counsel you want to. That's your call. As for me, I'm going to build it on this word. And I'm telling you, I get on airplanes now. Joshua is commanded to be careful to do according to the law so he'll have peace so he'll be set free from his fears, so he'll prosper and succeed. This is not a burden. This is a gift. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. It's not a burden. It's a gift. It sets you free. This is biblical counsel. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. You meditate on it day and night. You're constantly in it. You're careful to study it. You, you, you memorize it. And, and it leads to a confidence in God's Word. It leads to you having His promises. And it leads you to trust Him. It leads Him to bless you. Give you strength it's meant to be our delight. It makes it a delight. And it's how to overcome crippling fear. Another strategy is to explore exactly what you are afraid of. This is what a good counselor will do. They will help you explore, okay, so exactly what are you afraid of? So you think about and I've, I've done this, like, okay, what, what exactly is it you're afraid of when you get on the airplane? I read in the journal Biblical Counseling about a lady with a fear of bridges. That can sound crazy. Thus, it makes the pages of journal Biblical Counseling. But it was so bad that her, her husband was about to leave her, her family was fed up with her. She was crippled by this fear of bridges. And so, let me just read to you how a biblical counselor handled this. Tell me about your fear of bridges, Joan. Close your eyes and imagine this. You're driving on the interstate. There's a bridge a mile ahead of you that is so huge it spans an entire valley. If you threw a rock off of it, you'd never even hear it land. Joan grimaces, tightens her grip on the chair arms. You're getting closer and closer, and now you're on it. The wind is howling. Nothing is below you but a deep abyss. Now what's happening? 
I'm so afraid my heart is pounding. I'm breathing hard. I might pass out. Then what? I do pass out. Then what? The car begins to swerve wildly. Then what? It smashes into the guardrail. Man, I can relate to this lady. I'm telling you. Then what? It jumps over the guardrail, starts falling down, down, down. Then what? Hits the bottom of the rocks below. Then what? I die. Then what? The light begins to dawn for Joan. Well, I'm with the Lord. Okay, can you handle that? <laughs> Joan clearly is afraid of dying. And the exercise above reveals to her the intensity of her, of her fear in a way she's never seen before. Her death fears relate strongly to her children. Without her, they'll nosedive in school, develop lifelong insecurities, be scarred for life, ultimately fail. For each fear, she, she frankly considers the worst-case video clips that regularly play in her mind. And with each one, she grapples with questions such as, what's so bad about it? Can you imagine how God could glorify himself even in those human tragedies? The verses she has memorized as magical incantations begin to be precious and life-transforming truths to her. God is in all things and controls all things and works all things for my good and for the good of all his beloved covenant people. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and is Lord over everything for the church. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? She's able to say, even if my worst fears materialize, I can handle it. And since I can handle the greatest fear, I can face the lesser ones. You know, for me, when I think about the plane, I realize I get, I get fearful, anxious if I'm not in control. So I remember I would say about getting on a player, I like to be in control of my own destiny. And when I'm not in control, I start to get anxious. And of course, that begs the question, what makes you think you're ever in control of your own destiny? See, you can see how it, it helps. And, and we have these, this imagination and it takes us to places that are not real. And then we can deal with those. I remember as a kid being very scared and I, I was always dealing with fear. And a couple times my parents had me meet with a child psychologist. And I've told this story before that I remember meeting with one of these psychologists and he says, okay, you're going into a cave. Tell us what you see. When I got done, he was scared. I mean, <laughs> and what he said from that was to my parents, well, your, your son has a very vivid imagination. Someday it'll serve him right now. It isn't. I don't find that particularly helpful. Okay. <laughs> I think he thought, well, he'll get over this. He'll grow out of it. I didn't, okay? <laughs> what I, I wish he had done was instead talk about what I was afraid of and do what this counselor did with this lady with the fear of bridges so that I could begin to look at, okay, why are you afraid of that? And is that realistic? And then hopefully lead me to Christ 
in the gospel so I could be set free from my fears. Finally, learn to pray about your fears. We, we defeat crippling fear by biblical prayer. I love to pray. I love to pray. I love to pray for you. I really love to pray for me. I love to cast my burdens to the Lord. I love to be anxious for nothing, but in all things. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, to make my requests made known to the Lord. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, thy consolations delight my soul. When I'm fearful and when I worry and when I'm anxious, I don't know how better to say it than just to say prayer works. <laughs> it works. He answers my prayers. I love to cast my cares to him because he cares for me. God is present to help you today overcome crippling fear. I encourage you, if you're, if you're battling some of these things, go to our, our table in the lobby with our biblical counseling team and our pastor of biblical counseling, Jeff Hodgson, and you can, you can sign up and you can get counsel. Don't ever be afraid to get counsel. I've just lived on counsel ever since I've been a Christian. Wasn't always as, as equipped. Was, the people weren't as equipped as, as these folks are. But it was just counseling the word in the context of the fellowship. Where people that were discipling me and caring for me would... Take me to God's word. Don't ever be afraid to say, help, I need help. God will meet you through your friends. And today we're going to have our Sunday prayer team come and join the pastors. And we're going to have a ministry time. I'd like the worship team to come to the front. It's just a great morning. If, you, if you're battling anxiety, fear, crippling fear, worry, come and let us pray for you. We're... we're we're going to sing a hymn. How firm a foundation. And there are promises in here. You will see. I am with you. I am your God. I will still give you aid. I will strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll cause you to stand. I'll uphold you with my good and powerful hand. We can trust Him. So we're going to begin to sing and then the the team will come up and you just come if you'd like us to pray for you and we want to trust the Lord to help you as you battle fear and anxiety. Lord, we, we're grateful for your word today. Pray that we'd be set free from all our fears. Give us courage, Lord, to live for you, to trust you, to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4700.
1-800-242-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.